And today I want us to turn to uh, Psalm 103. We're continuing in our Psalm series that for this summer. Um, I switched on, uh, on uh, the worship team. Later in the week, I, I was going to preach a different psalm. I just wasn't feeling it, and so I, I went with this one. And I love this psalm. And, and Molly, uh, one of our admins, I went to them and said, I'm so sorry, but I'm changing everything, and we're doing Psalm 103. She's like, yes, I've been begging God that you should. This is her favorite psalm. So this one's for you, Molly. All right. Now, it's kind of long, but I'm going to read the whole thing, and, and I would just ask that you take some time and, and listen to this psalm. Read it along with me, meditate on it, and, and what, does, what is the thing that you notice as we read this? So bring, bring your heart to a place of listening now as we read Psalm 103. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He he remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower, and for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, the theme, obviously, uh, in this passage, and it's long, and it's beautiful, and there's no way we'll be able to unpack everything that's here today. But it's clearly what phrase, right? Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. What does this word bless mean in the English language? Uh, Quite a bit, (laughs) doesn't it? We use the word bless in so many different ways. A blessing can be a prayer. Would you please say uh, the blessing? It can mean something set apart as holy, like in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, holy water. That, that water is blessed. This ground is blessed. 
uh, to do some good thing uh, to, to somebody. I want to bless you. I want to bring you a meal. Uh, to worship, obviously, and that's the main focus of this passage, to bless God's holy name. You can talk about giftedness. He is blessed with athleticism. And in the South, we have a particular way of using the word, well, bless your heart, which means you're an idiot. There's also hashtag blessed. Kate Bowler uh, is a professor at Duke Divinity School, and she wrote an article that was printed in the New York Times called Death and the Prosperity Gospel and Me. And she says this, when Americans boast on Twitter about how well they're doing on Thanksgiving Day, hashtag blessed is the standard hashtag. It is the humble brag of the celebrity. Hashtag blessed is the only caption suitable for viral images of alpine vacations and family yachting in barely uh, their bikinis. It says, I totally get it. I'm down to earth enough to know this is crazy. But it also says, God gave it to me. (laughs) Adorable shrug. Don't blame me. I'm blessed. Blessed is a loaded term, she writes, because it blurs the distinction between two very different categories, gift and reward. It can be a a term of pure gratitude. Thank you, God. I could not have secured this on my own. But it can also imply that it was deserved. Thank you, me, for being the kind of person who gets it, right? When Christians say that we're blessed, the, the real meaning behind this should be referring to the reality that we live our lives and are the recipients of the gifts of God. And that all the good things we enjoy are from a father, even if you can't believe this just yet, who loves you and is graciously giving us all things, the good that we need and even gifts just to enjoy. God gives us things even just to enjoy life and him because he's a a father who enjoys giving us good gifts. We're blessed. We are so blessed. And in this first verse, we see David, and man, as I read that again today, I'm just like, oh, there's so much in here. We're not going to get to so much good stuff, so go back and read this later today. He begins, though, by saying this, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. He is stirring himself up to be a person who's living in light of the goodness of God. And friends, uh, if you're brand new to Christianity, whether you're investigating Christianity, you're a new believer, or you've been walking with God your whole life, you're going to have many moments in your life where you do not feel authentically connected to God. I hope you know that. You will not feel that necessarily at all times. You will not experience that at all times. That's, that's not what David is saying. What he is saying is, I long for that as the deer pants for streams of water. I want my whole being to be caught up into worship, to bless him. But what he's sort of recognizing on the front end is, I'm not necessarily there yet. And he's preaching to himself a little bit. Hey, soul. <laughs> hey, self. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Listen, soul, you've got a lot to be thankful about. 
You, you may have forgotten it, in fact, but I want to remind you of some stuff. And this is what he's going to say to us in verse 2 in just a minute. Notice that he's actively calling his own soul to bless the Lord. We prepare for all kinds of things. Like, um, we, you know, I have a whole routine of how I get ready for a sermon, right? I, I study throughout the week and the front half of the week. I write it on Thursday and then I spend the rest, like one manuscript, and I spend the rest of the whole weekend just meditating on it, editing it, thinking about it. I changed a bunch of stuff this morning. I, I'm, I keep just kind of thinking about it. I prepare, right? You can't speak publicly without some preparation, uh, all kinds of things we do to, to like, if you, w- when my boys were young and they were playing sports, I had playlists and, and it, was, it wasn't classical music, right, that I would play. It was classic rock. Like, to, let's get ready to rumble. Like, ready? You got to prepare. And so often in life, I think the one, th- one of the things that we don't think about preparing ourselves for or working towards is a heart of worship. To live a life that is, is, is worshipful, where your whole being, like, like David is saying, bless the Lord and all that is within me, bless his name, it takes some preparation. It takes some thought. And this is what David is doing today. Quick question. What most moves you, you, towards true heartfelt worship and gratitude? And what are the things that block that for you? And where are you right now? And it's okay wherever you are. Some people are feeling it. I mean, some of you are just so excited to be in church today, and you're like, yes, bless the Lord. My heart is here. My mind is here. And if that's you, man, we're so, thank God. What a blessing. But some of you are not there. And that's okay, too. And to recognize that, to name it and say, that's not where I'm at. But I want to work and think about when I feel connected to God, when I am feeling like blessing his holy name, what's going on, and and what are the things that block that for me? And David is showing us here how he goes about it. But I want you to not forget Psalm 42, right? Uh, that we just preached on a few weeks ago when he said, my tears are my food, day and night. (laughs) Where he's utterly and completely depressed and he does not feel God's presence. David shows us here though, through counting and remembering God's goodness and promises, through gratitude and through actively seeking to be thankful is one of the ways, one of the primary ways that we can move our heart and our minds and our soul to actually bless the Lord authentically through counting and remembering God's goodness and his promises through gratitude, increasing gratitude, actually changes us. There really is something to count your blessings. The first thing I want us to see in verses three through six is this blessing through remembrance and gratitude. Blessings through remembrance and through gratitude. He says this in verse two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Why does he say, forget not all of his benefits? An easier way to say it is, hey, don't, don't, don't forget. <laughs> because we forget so much all of God's goodness and kindness and benefits. And here's the thing. You can have a hundred great things going on in your life, but you and I have a tendency to focus on the one or two things that are going poorly right? A hundred of you could tell me today, uh, 
Look, that was a great sermon. Thank you. I'm so encouraged by what the church is doing in youth ministry and other things. And I've got a great small group and everything's good. Like, I love you. I love the church. But one person can write me a nasty email. Which one do you think I'm going to focus on all week? It's how we're wired. It's how I'm wired. And so we can let the few things, and, and, all, and even in the best of times, there is a few things going on in our lives that are difficult, that are challenging, that are a trial. And there are other times where it feels as if everything in your life is coming undone, and it's all bad. But in the midst of it, David is saying, don't forget the benefits of God. Soul, he says, count your blessings. Soul, remember, remember. When I'm counseling a couple and they're discouraged in their marriage, and I'm not talking about infidelity, I'm not talking about serious abuse, I'm not talking about some grave thing, I'm talking about your average normal marital struggles, which, by the way, everyone has. And when I'm talking to somebody like that, I will say, I want you to remember why did you fall in love with this person in the first place? Because it's easy to forget in the, in the difficulties of life and raising kids or uh, trials and tribulations or whatever you're going through in your marriage, it's easy to forget right? To remember, why do I love this person so much? And to remember, soul, I do love her. I do love him. Why? Remember. And David is calling us to remember all the reasons why God is so good. And he recounts several. In verse 3, he says this, he forgives all of your iniquities. We have this tendency to think of the Old Testament as God is angry and grumpy and doesn't really want to forgive anyone and is quick to, towards anger. But even in the Old Testament, it's, it constantly says, and David says it today, he is not quick to anger. He forgives all of our sins. Verse 3, he heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit or the grave. Four, again, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Each one of these phrases could be its own sermon. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Oh, what beautiful imagery. Can you imagine a father that loves you, a good father, like literally crowning you? And that it says mercy on that crown and steadfast love, covenantal love? How beautiful. In verse four, 5, it says, He satisfies so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When you're young, you just can't appreciate how great it is to be young. <laughs> you know, when you're young, you can literally uh, play tackle football and get destroyed and, and just jump right up and continue to play. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, this week, I was grilling uh, and I, I'm pretty active and, and do stuff, and I have a right knee that's been bothering me, but it had been feeling really good. I played like two hours of pickleball the, the, the day before and, and felt great. Felt great that whole day. Was grilling and brought hamburgers into uh, the kitchen and just opened the door and went, crack, just walk. I have a walking injury. Like just, I just walked and my knee snapped and to, right three days later, I can barely walk. I have this whole stretching routine just to barely walk. So you, you, someday, younger people, you'll know uh, that this verse means something powerful to renew your strength uh, the, the, of your youth like the eagles. Verse six, he works justice for all who are oppressed, all. 
Do you hear how huge these promises are? All diseases healed. Redemption from the pit satisfies you with eagle powers. Uh, perfect justice for the oppressed. Unbelievable. What are we to make of these promises? If you're like me, you're hearing these are going, these don't motivate me at all because they're too hyperbolic. They're ridiculous. I, I know too many people that have died of cancer and weren't healed of their diseases. I know too many old people that don't have their youth renewed like the eagles. Like it just doesn't happen. Uh, I, I've seen too many diseases, too many oppressed people with no justice. Too many stories of injustice. So what are we to make of these? The article I read to you earlier from Kate Bowler, um, I, I mentioned that she's a professor at Duke Divinity School. What I didn't mention is that when she was 35 years old, she was diagnosed with stage four uh, cancer. And she's still alive, if I forgot my facts correct, but she's eventually going to pass away from this disease. It, she is an expert on something called the prosperity theology or gospel. She's written a lot about it. She's done a ton of research on the prosperity gospel. In the late 19th century, there was a movement called the New Thought, and uh, it taught that positive thoughts lead to positive circumstances in your life and that negative thoughts lead to negative outcomes. I grew up in a house where uh, on our bookshelf there were uh, books that said things like the power of positive thinking. That, that's, what, that's where that comes from. Bad thoughts equal debt, job loss, poverty, and sickness, and good thoughts equal financial prosperity and success and health and the healing of the sick. Some people have taken this idea, the power of positive thinking or the secret. It's almost every self-help book in any bookstore is filled with the same idea. If you just have enough positive energy that you're sending out into the universe, which is pretty darn big, we found out recently, like uh, it's, it's enormous. It, the, the universe will bless you. Just all this good stuff's going to come your way. A lot of people have been taking the Christianity, though, and mashing the power of positive thinking into the same thing, but you wind up with something that is not very Jesus-y at all, the prosperity gospel. Most prosperity uh, preachers aren't that utterly crass, meaning they're not going to say, uh, if you just have enough faith, then all of your diseases will be healed and all this, but, but it becomes pretty close at times. And the focus, if you listen carefully enough, is on how much faith do you have? And the power begins to reside more and more in our own hands. And this undermines gratitude ultimately because you can point back and say, it's flowing from my positive energy. It's flowing through my positive ideas and thoughts. But David is reminding us, no, we're grateful and filled with gratitude because of the gifts of grace that God is giving us. Even when we just have bad thoughts, and he still bestows us with covenantal love and grace and mercy. When Kate Bowler was diagnosed with stage four cancer, she said that her friends ultimately had similar responses, but from kind of a different perspective. They wondered, how can I control my life in such a way that something like this won't happen to me? Have you noticed that you do this? Some horrible tragedy happens to somebody else, and you're like, hmm, now... <laughs> How can I figure out a way for that to never, ever, ever happen to me? I'm that way with kidney stones. Like, dear God, <laughs> like, whatever it is. Anyway, I, sh I don't even like saying that out loud. Anyway, 
Her academic friends ask lots of questions. What are your symptoms? Uh, what are your genetics? This is how I would respond. Uh, they Googled for answers. I can outknow, I can outknow, outscience my cancer using the Mayo Clinic uh, website, right? Her hippie friends asked her about her diet and brought her all sorts of healing foods and drinks and other things. I can eat my way out of cancer. Her prosperity gospel friends came to her and said, I can positively declare that cancer has no power over me and I can set myself free. I can have enough faith. I can do this. But the biblical story, friends, says this. We live in a kingdom and a life of the already but not yet. The kingdom of God is here in small ways, in shadowy ways, in, in, in a taste, right? Uh, it's, it's here in, in the word of God. It's here in the people of God. You, that's true. Uh, one of the reasons we need one another, not just as an idea, but in real relationship, is we uh, together are a foretaste of the kingdom of God, even in all of our weakness. Why? Because we have the spirit of God. We've been born of the spirit. And, and we are to live in, like the kingdom of God, which we studied last year in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to walk in the kingdom, and to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. But we live in the shadow lands where we only get glimpses of the kingdom and not its completion. But brothers and sisters, when Jesus was in the flesh, everything that David described in Psalm 103, it was demonstrated. Do you remember that? Uh, the dead got up and lived. The blind could see. The lame could walk. Uh, there, was, there was justice for the oppressed. Uh, he went in and flipped tables uh, at the synagogue because there was so much evil going on there, keeping the Gentile uh, away, keeping the, the nations, the Gentiles away from the gospel. He was furious over that. Justice was done. And this is a preview of what the coming and the consummation of God's kingdom will look like. All that is broken and wrong in the world will come undone. And God's shalom and peace will reign. This is the ultimate way to move your heart, King David is saying, towards worship. But David is realistic. You need a realistic faith, brothers and sisters. This is why, ultimately, uh, the false gospels that we mentioned earlier, the prosperity gospels, will leave you with a rocked faith, a, a poor foundation, because life does not match up with the reality of what they're hearing. But David says in Psalm 103, verses 15 through 17, as for man, his days are like grass. It flourishes like a flower of the field, but the wind passes over and it's gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord, and that, that word steadfast is that word has said that I talk about a lot in the, from the Old Testament, covenantal faithfulness. His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And that word fear, don't be afraid of that. That's, that's not a cowering. That, that means awe and wonder and worship. And his righteousness to children's children. David is not saying that if you have enough faith, then God will just always grant you what you wish. He is saying God is so good and so faithful that we should work hard to count our blessings in spite of the trials, in spite of the difficulty, because it's there that we'll experience the very presence of the living God. 
And in his coming kingdom, he will renew all things. He will bring all things to right. And again, boy, there's so much in this psalm. But the main thing I want to close with is this. I want you, dear brothers and sisters, to remember the fatherly love of God, which David so beautifully talks about. He says this in verses 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Old Testament. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, and if on vacation I kind of geeked out on the James Webb uh, uh, telescope, I mean, you guys, if you're not paying attention to this, I walked in and declared to the family reunion where nobody cared at all, one of the greatest events in human civilization has just taken place. And they're like, what? And I'm like, the James Webb telescope. Have you seen these pictures? I'm just going to geek out for just a second. But like, on the, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but he says right here, uh, as far as the high as the heavens are above the earth, this is how great God's love for, is for us. What we just discovered in the James Webb telescope is if you took a grain of sand and, and put it out in front of you, okay, uh, the, and that's the first pictures they got from this telescope is looking at about that much of the sky, a grain of sand from your hand. That's how much they saw. And in that picture, they saw... Uh, <laughs> Uh, first of all, so deep into space that it was near where it all began. We believe that God created it, but 13 billion light years into the past for, and that they saw galaxies, not star upon star, galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies where there are billions of stars within each galaxy, Okay. <laughs> That's why I went in and people are like playing cards and I'm like, like, that's how much Jesus has forgiven us. And that's how much God loves you. As big as the universe is, that's what David is saying, as far as the east is from the west. And you know, the east-west thing's kind of weird because like if you're, okay, uh, let's see, uh, that's north, right? West, East, well, that's not a lot of distance, right? But he's basically saying, take a line and send it east and take another line and send it west into eternity, and they're never going to meet. That's how he's saying. There's, there's, these things will never meet. That's how much God has forgiven you. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But some of you are living in shame and self-loathing. You are. You keep seeing yourself through your sin. You keep seeing yourself through your brokenness. You keep seeing yourself only through the lens of the shameful thing that happened to you, something, some sin that somebody committed against you. But that isn't who you are. Through the gospel, you are a son of God. You're a daughter of the high king who wants to crown you with mercy. If he were here, he would want to crown you with his steadfast faithfulness. And if that wouldn't move you, heart, mind, body, and soul, to be someone who wants to bless the Lord, then your heart may be immovable. We are sinners, every one of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you can't become a Christian unless you're willing to admit that. It doesn't just be, oh, slate's clean, it's all good. 
no, you're a sinner. You've, you've sinned against a holy God, a righteous God, and that matters. And let me tell you why it matters a little bit, because God takes sin so seriously that the reason why he does not repay us for our iniquity is because his own son paid that penalty beautifully. It's why we love the cross within Christianity, because it was there on the cross that Jesus willingly, lovingly, even joyfully with worship and with some doubt and pain went to the cross to pay the penalty so that you may never have to. You will never have to. Do not live in sin. Do not live in shame. Do not live in pride or self-righteousness, but live a heart of gratitude and joy for all that God has done. Friends, count your blessings today. If you're wise, you'll go home and literally write out just 10 things that you can, that you can have gratitude for and thanksgiving for. Bless his name. Bless his holy name. Let's pray. Father, there are far too many times that we get caught up in everything that's wrong in our life, and there is often much. But there's so, so many examples of your promise and your kindness in small ways and big ways, tangible ways, intangible ways, that you're good to us, that you're gracious to us, that you give us good gifts. So Lord, help us to be a people of gratitude and thanksgiving, a people that would work hard to prepare even to bless your name, to talk to our own soul, to preach to our own heart. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for a crown of mercy and covenantal faithfulness. We're so grateful in Jesus' good name. Amen.